Welcome to the Young Professional Next Door, a podcast where I will talk to students and professionals about their journey to success. I'm Sadia and I'm taking my first ever steps into the legal job market. I would like to thank you for joining me on this project and this journey. So without further ado, let's talk to the Young Professional Next Door. Hi guys, my name is Lucy Farrimond and I am a classical and operatic soprano based in Manchester, UK. I'm originally from Wigan and I now work, I study and work as a performer in the classical music industry. Wow, that sounds so interesting. And you told us kind of where you are now, but I'm really curious as to how you got here. Tell me a little bit about your journey and how you kind of became so brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so I grew up in a musical family in Wigan and they had Salvation Army background. So there was a lot of hymn music, brass bands. And my family has a brass band actually back home. So I was always surrounded by music from a very young age. And I think when I was around seven years old, I was given my great grandmother's piano. And I was all standing upright and it's my pride and joy to this day. And I had piano lessons once a week in Wigan for probably up to 10 years. I had lessons. His name was Alan Anderson. And yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And I got to around GCSE level at high school. When you do a GCSE at Standish High, which is where I went, you were offered free lessons in, a, in another instrument of your choice so I decided to have singing lessons and that's when I started my singing journey um, but even at the start it wasn't necessarily classical singing it was just anything that interested me and I pursued composing as well and then it's only when I was around 15, 16 I was googling places to oh where can I go to further this interest because <laughs> I kind of knew that I wanted to do it as a profession, but wasn't sure how to yeah. get there, like what steps to take. So did some Googling and I found Teton School of Music in Manchester and I auditioned. And when I was I think, 16, that's where I went. Wow. Yeah. So that really was kind of like a childhood passion. Like you, there's a real journey there. How many instruments can you, pe- can you play? Um, oh, well, <laughs> so singing and piano are my first and second studies at students and composition, but I have dabbled in brass instruments in the past, as has to be done when your family has a brass band. So, um, I would play, um, euphonium or most, mostly baritone, um, in the band when they needed me, like caroling at Christmas. And I think at some point in high school, as every teenager, does I had a phase of a guitar because <laughs> guitar's been quite a long time now. But um yeah, I was trying everything that I could really. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you know this. I can actually play not probably not as well as you, but I can play violin. I played I played violin for about ten years now. Um yeah. I'm not great. I've not played for a while to be fair. But I used to be okay. <laughs> well, amazing. I see string instruments are something I've never tried. I mean I would have loved to have maybe tried the cello at some point. That's an instrument that I'll always listen to in awe. 
And I always say that to my cellist friends that goodness me, it's such a beautiful instrument. So if I could play an orchestral instrument, I would I think I would pick the cello. But I did not know that about you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like with music and instruments in particular, there's so much more kind of beyond the surface, like the way you hold your posture and the way you sit, the way you act. It's not just playing the instrument. And I didn't realize until I started with the violin how much more there is to it. It's not just playing the instrument. Exactly. There's so much that, that goes into it, really. And I think in, in a lot of schools, um, I think not enough attention is paid to music. I think a lot of people assume that it is a DOS subject, I say, when you can't as you can't see on this podcast. Um, but there are so many different branches to it that you need to consider. I always say that it's so great for mental health in particular, yeah. especially running ensembles, you're meeting people, you're challenging yourselves. Um, and there's been studies to say that it's great with um, great for the brain, especially like throughout your life when you get to older um, into old age. And say the the cognitive side of things because yeah. you've been working on these little, you know, when you're practicing, you're working building skills all the time. It keeps the brain ticking over, and it is it's really good for you. And um, yeah, the, the health aspect of it, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you just plug in musical therapy there, like everyone learn how to play <laughs> <an> instrument. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, um, quite a few friends of mine are you know thinking of pursuing music therapy for masters because mm-hmm. it does have really really yeah. impact on other people especially like there are people that go into music and dementia because they they see how well it, it works with patients going through that so yeah definitely something for people to check out if they're not thought about that and I think maybe I don't know if you call it professionally but you've done quite a lot of kind of extra things with your music which isn't very um, nicely worded. I did my undergraduate at the Royal Northern College of Music and I've stayed there to do my master's with my mm-hmm. teacher, Jane Irwin. And obviously when you're in an educational environment, you're, you know, you're constantly working, you're getting opportunities within your yeah. university. But I've always believed that it's really important to get out there and locate your own opportunities because it's not going to, you know, come for you automatically. So... A lot of the things that I've done, I've, I've worked with a lot of top orchestras, um, mostly, you know, um, I, I was in the National Youth Choir of Great Britain when I was younger, so that enabled me to take part in proms um, in Royal Albert Hall and St. Maltings and um, one BBC proms. I was working with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra oh. and the piece that they were doing had a small solo in it. So I auditioned for it and was given this solo but that obviously ended up with me being able to sing on this incredible stage mm-hmm. in a wonderful hall and it was live on Radio 3 so my parents could listen to it back home and then um, th- those are the kind of things that you just got to go for it and, and find new opportunities because yeah why not yeah I think putting yourself out there is really important like when I applied for the job I currently have I had no idea about anything really in my interview they asked me whether I knew about a case. And I I didn't say no directly because you don't in an interview, you don't be like, no. But I right. said, well, broadly speaking, yes, but I can't go into specifics. And the interviewer said to me, that's the major case you're going to be working on. And I was uh-huh. like, oh no, I've, I've wrecked it up. But I still got the job. And I think it showed that sometimes people are willing to teach you things. So it's not really, 
Well, it's about how much you know, which, yeah. Exactly. It's about, you know, putting the work in, acknowledging that, you know, there are still a work in progress and there are things that you need to learn. But you're, it's just showing that you're willing to learn from people. And I certainly wouldn't be what I'm doing now if it weren't for the countless incredible teachers and coaches that have helped me through it. Because not only, you know, am I working on my instrument, but also you, the professional side of things and also the resilience that you need yeah. to be professional in, in this industry in particular. They always compare it kind of like, athletes performing you know top level sports because it becomes the classical music world can be quite small actually you'll find everyone knows each other and there's a lot of people they auditioning for not very many positions and um I think a lot of musicians in particular go through you know these phases where they think oh should I should I be here there's you know classic imposter syndrome yeah and it does take its toll and every everyone gets goes through rejections and acceptances and it's how you deal with rejections to get onto the next best thing yeah and, you know it, it's just how you you keep you know proceeding and keep moving forward and I'm very grateful to a lot of people not only my family but my teacher now at the minute has been with me for five years now where I'm a completely oh, different singer yeah, to the, to who I was in my first year of undergrad, and it's yeah, it's the support that you get on the way that that makes you really. Do you think? Well, you said that kind of your teachers and your coaches have been really instrumental in kind of your journey. Um, would you ever consider teaching music or anything like that as your career? Um, well, I, I've actually recently started um, teaching singing and theory. Um, so I, I want to become, you know, an in, international singer. So working with opera houses and companies, performing recitals. But I do think it is really important to relay what you've learned onto a new generation. And I actually found recently that through teaching other people, I'm actually learning myself. I'm finding out things that I, I didn't know. And, and it's, it's actually, it's actually really heartwarming to, you know, see sparks in other people and when you explain them and then you know latching onto the passion that you share and it's it's really great and so I probably um I won't go into you know like PGC working in Mm -hmm. a school full time it'll probably be something that I do alongside my performing career but I do I really enjoyed it actually I wasn't Mm -hmm. funnily enough I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I do I thought it's rewarding yeah. yeah no definitely I think making the dif- making a difference in someone's life always kind of makes you mm. feel a certain type of way something I'm actually curious about is I'm a terrible artist I can't draw at all and my friends and me we always have a debate about whether you can learn and become a better at drawing do you mm. think with music and instruments you have to have kind of a natural talent for it or do you think with like kind of hard work and practice anyone could become good (laughs) (laughs) I I do think I do agree with the term natural talent because I feel like I feel like talent is something that needs to be nurtured because people can be born with talent and do nothing with it and it you know it doesn't go anywhere you can be born with oh you know you can grow up with an ability to kind of be in 
tuned to music with a good intuition you can if someone hums a note to you you can sing it back you know those are the levels but um especially in terms of an operatic singing voice it takes years to develop because people forget the voice is a muscle Mm -hmm. so you need to make sure you're not singing too much um roles that are too big for you when you're too young because you can damage things otherwise so it's something that needs to be nurtured and you really need patience to grow throughout the years and with that I'm, I'm always I'm always learning so it, it it does take time whether I actually there are people who say that they cannot sing and I've always used, I always used to say everyone could sing really it just takes you know some lessons and you know just a, a little bit of a nudge and uh, and some help and I actually earlier this year uh, I, I nipped down to London because um, a really good tenor it's called Nicky Spence everyone should check him out he was taking he basically was involved in this new TV show on, on Sky Arts called Anyone Can Sing. Mm-hmm. And if you've not watched it, check it out because it's brilliant. And it's where they they sourced, I think, five or six people um, from throughout the country who said that they couldn't sing at all. And they had like, six weeks to have coachings um, from Nikki Spence, um, Sarah Pring, Michael Harper, who's a coach at my uni. And um, and then this resulted in a performance at the English National Opera. And it was just great to see that that process of them really feeling at first that they this is something they would never be able to do. So then really igniting a passion and just seeing the enjoyment in them and the result at the end. I just think it it's if you're determined to achieve something, I really think that if you put your all into it and and you you're not afraid to ask for help along the way, then why why not? Why not achieve it? Yeah. I mean, that must kind of make someone so confident and be such a confidence boost going from not being able to sing to performing <laughs> like in a massive studio kind of setting. You must think, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> but I was so in awe of them because it's brilliant because it's, you know, it's not easy to, to stand up in front of people and kind of wear your heart on your sleeve in a way. It's very, you know, exposing. <laughs> it makes you very vulnerable, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You've you've got to let yourself be vulnerable on stage and just just express what you're feeling in that moment. And because honestly, everyone, well, mostly my teacher and other coaches, have said to me, you can have people who have these incredible voices, like huge resonant voices, who don't actually relay anything musically or you could just, they don't really seem to be in the moment or, or feeling what they're singing about. Cause don't forget, often we sing in different languages, mostly Italian, German, French, name mm-hmm. it. But then you can get some other singers to, you would say, aren't necessarily technically on, a, on the same level. However, they, they've just got that ability to really connect with an audience and just really feel what they're singing. And I think sometimes that can can take precedence really and that's what really engages an audience member they want to feel they want to feel moved at the end of the day so yeah and um, you've just got to do your best to convey what you're feeling and just yeah it's just it's kind of like the skill or the art of like performing isn't it which mm. I don't know maybe it needs to be learned maybe it's from experience definitely I mean having started 
from playing the piano. Obviously, I had a big instrument to hide behind. <laughs> so when I came to switching things around and being first study singer, having to stand in front of the piano and saying, oh, I'm going to sing this by this composer and written in whatever date it was. I was like a rabbit in headlights the first time I had to do that. <laughs> and obviously now I wouldn't really think twice about it. I mean, obviously I still get nervous. I think nerves are a good thing. They just, you know, you get more and more comfortable with having that, that feeling. And it does come with experience, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you've done quite a lot of exciting things, but something more recently which you've done is BBC Philharmonic and the Halle. Halle? Yeah, yeah. I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know, always like, <laughs> about all these words. Yeah, um, so the BBC Philharmonic is based in Manchester, um, one of the BBC orchestras. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in Media City, actually. So they have a good partnership with the RNCM, Royal Northern College of Music, where I study. Yeah. And that's, they're the orchestra that I um, was soloist with um, at the proms. Mm-hmm. And recently I also performed with the Halle. So the Halle, I think, I hope no one corrects me on this, is what is Manchester's oldest orchestra? Oh, we'll double check that before we pass <laughs> but, um, Yeah, and the music director is um, Sonar Kelder. And they perform often in the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester. So I don't know what they'd be probably going to get lots of Manchester listeners into this. And so that's where they perform most often, although they have um, some venues in Ancoats as well. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, I took part in Puccini's opera Madame a Butterfly with them, and um, some incredible soloists. Honestly, I was I was blown away. There was a one lady, a Japanese lady called Eri Nakamura, mm-hmm. and she was playing Chocho Sam, so Madame a Butterfly, and it was just incredible to work alongside these these yeah. incredible soloists and seeing how humble they were as well. Like it, it was just. I also find it hard to put in words really because it, you can really aspire to be at that level and then when they're so so lovely to you in person as well and sometimes they don't really seem to acknowledge like just how amazing they were that's the feeling I got very I was like this is so incredible and he's just like oh was it I was like yes oh my goodness <laughs> and um just to perform such beautiful music in you know such as Puccini Oh, in you know to a full audience as well so we forget that covid has gone by and yeah. you know our lives basically were, were taken away from us you know no in concert halls no orchestral performances and to have a standing ovation at the end of an of an opera after two and a bit years of of nothing like it was it makes you quite emotional actually it was, it was a really really good night you know yeah. we're very lucky Manchester to have such great music great music scene I think it's amazing being able to witness kind of your role mo- role models performing and people you look up to. I think that's such an experience in itself, even just analysing their body language or the way they do things and being able to take notes. I think in terms of career development, as well as personal development, that's such a positive. Definitely. Um, so we would rehearse with the orchestra. We'd get, so normally when this kind of production happens, you get the production schedule in advance and it'll say the chorus is needed at this time this scene at this time blah 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 and we'd had we'd have our chorus rehearsals and then we'd be sent home and I'd still be sat in the rehearsal venue with my my iPad out with my score listening to the principals they rehearse with with Sir Mark Elder because I wanted just to you know learn from them how do they work in a rehearsal setting how 
do they you know yeah how do they compose themselves what's what's the vibe (laughs) and it's really interesting it's just getting yourself immersed in that setting and learning as much as you can whilst you're there it's making the most of it yeah so we talked a little bit about nerves and anxiety and imposter syndrome and all them other lovely things that come with performing um so do you have any coping mechanisms or how do you kind of deal with them so they don't well these feelings don't kind of become overpowering Ooh, okay. Um, again, a lot that can be said about this question too. So most recently, I have found that when I am more relaxed and happy in general, mm-hmm. that my voice is better. Like yeah. my actual performance is better. Because um, again, if, you, if you're feeling any kind of stress, all the constriction goes to the larynx, goes straight to the voice. <laughs> And it really shows. And I I don't know whether it, it links to this because in my undergrad, I feel like a lot of people have preconceptions as to what it's like to be a classical singer, to, to be a classical instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing a lot today to kind of change this. But there is this idea of elitism and feeling like you need to be a certain kind of person to be able to do this. And obviously, mm-hmm. um, I think that can take its toll on on people. So I would... You know, I would spend a lot of time practicing and it, if you want to pursue this, it, you've got to, you know, really give it your all. But I think I was probably taking that a bit too far and not really giving myself enough time to really relax. Like you do a really good performance and instead of just sitting down and thinking, oh, I'm really proud of that. And, you know, it went well, you either pick it apart and say, well, well, actually, that that R wasn't rolled very well or that consonant wasn't placed well or or you could finish the concert and you think oh, oh well I've now got this to prepare for instead of just sitting down and, and having a good chill so these days um, I make sure <laughs> that I acknowledge that that take every day as you know to learn something new and um, yeah I just I try not to be too hard on myself because we're always going to be learning. There is no no such thing as perfection. You can make a recording and look back on it and think, oh, but is that going to be what I sound like in a few years' time when my voice has progressed more? Like, should I share this? Should I not? And I think, um, you know, the more comfortable and accepting you are with yourself. I had a, a coaching recently at Opera North with a really wonderful lady called Joyce Henderson. She's a movement director. A lovely Scottish lady, and she said, essentially, you've got to be co- comfortable with the idea that people are looking at you, like you're exposed, but you've got to be very accepting of yourself and think, you know, this is me, this is what I enjoy doing, and I put the work in, and we, you know, this, this is it. And I think since that coaching, I've been trying to really implement that in all of my performances, and it's made a difference because if you're not going to accept yourself, then how are you going to imagine your audience doing it? You know, so um, that's true. But also sleep and lots of hydration. <laughs> Those are the main things for keeping a happy voice. And hydration. Hydration. I think water for people who are using their voice so much is very important. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, definitely. I think, I think at our age, when you're so young, I think overworking is often glamorized. So oh, I yeah. think. I think, yeah, people say, oh, I'm doing this, I'm work. I'm doing all of this, I'm working all these jobs, I'm doing all this. But I think 
I think it's really important to actually be able to just take a day off and rest and not do not be working every day really and I think yeah. in a sense I really believe that we are our own worst enemy in the sense that you will criticize yourself more than anyone else will ever criticize you and I think the fact that you've learned to kind of stop doing that is so impressive and it's something that everyone needs to kind of do yeah I mean I'm saying I've learned to stop doing that I'm I'm <laughs> I'm not 100% there yet. I mean, it'll take a while, but I'm certainly, if I even look back to last year, that final, the final lockdown that we had here was the one that got to me really mm-hmm. um, the most out of, out of them. And I think even just looking back to then and now, like, I would certainly, I've come a long way since then. And it it does, it does show actually, you can, you can even see in the performances that I'm just way more, way more relaxed and I think I think we all need to stop glamorizing the hustle obviously working working hard's great mm-hmm. obviously you know if you want to work hard work because <laughs> it will take you places mm-hmm. but also just remember that you there is a life as well yeah. because also a lot of music is my life like everything I do <laughs> really is centered around music but it's really it's important actually just to take a minute and just think maybe even find a hobby that's unrelated just so you can switch off from time to time because I think that's healthy. Yeah, no, so we talked a little bit about lockdown and the effects the last lockdown, hadn't you? So in general, COVID, obviously COVID changed a lot, but specifically what changed for you? Oh, so, gosh, dreaded COVID. Um, so I was in my third year of my undergrad when that happened uh, and very naively, I I think I packed for about two weeks at home only to then realise, oh, this is not going to go away very soon, is it? And I think, you know, doing a performing arts degree, really, to then move all of that online was just a massive shock to the system. Can you imagine, like, having all of your singing lessons on Zoom (laughs) and then uh, having other people in the house and, and a little dog that barks when a parcels delivered at the door (laughs) 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 I'm just gonna have to go and get that and um yeah it it just uh, also having to do an ensemble assessment with other people from their own rooms on zoom as well it was a learning curve I feel like I can't imagine life without zoom now obviously what we're doing now is on zoom (laughs) but um yeah it it was obviously an awful time and I um, I applied to be with the National Student Office Society on their new panel of their new their new team, and I was offered the role of event manager. So obviously, because COVID was going on, we couldn't do in person events. Mm-hmm. So we had a little chat, and we thought of putting on Zoom events, you know, broadcast throughout throughout the UK, um, interviews, and etc. And as we were putting that into practice um, a really good base called Matthew Rose he messaged to say well I, I wouldn't mind giving a masterclass oh, wow. um, but this we can say you'd be interested in us oh of course yeah and Matthew <laughs> came out. he's an incredible singer amazing voice and um, we did that and we had a really good turnout and from that event uh, the organisation I think has hosted almost 80 online events since then uh, with incredible professionals throughout the world and we've just done our best to really help young musicians navigate their way through the pandemic and into 
life post conservatoire because those two years have taken away a lot from artists and it was really difficult um for a lot of people obviously so um I, I was very proud to maybe just provide some kind of community for artists in that time because you'd see the same faces joining on the calls and 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 you, yeah. can, you see people you know getting something out of the sessions and it was yeah I was proud of that I think that's so nice how you turn something negative well COVID which was very negative into something positive almost hmm. I think yeah. yeah I think not many people managed to do this well to do that um yeah. When I when I think about COVID, obviously I don't know much about music. I can play a bit of violin, and that's about it. I'm not I'm not going to pretend I do. But with law, um, there's quite a lot of positives which did come out of COVID in the sense that there's more hybrid working models, which obviously is a lot better on mental health because you can rest more and things like that. Was there anything positive which came out of COVID for you or for the industry? Do you think? I think for me personally, um, I was able to have more time at home mm-hmm. um, and I was able to maybe prioritise, you know, the, the daily walks that we all had. <laughs> One daily walk. <laughs> you know, physical health and I had time to really, you know, plan things vocally yeah. instead of being in that constant or sort of yeah, grinding. And I think for the industry itself, I think we all realized why we do what we do because <laughs> it, it really, it really is our lives. And then for us to not have that anymore, it, it made it all the more poignant when we finally, I remember the first concert that I came back, that I listened to after COVID and it was with the Halle, um, Sir Mark conducting. And I just thought, it, it just made me so emotional because I missed it so much. And it was interesting to see that throughout the pandemic, everyone turns to the arts as a means of coping through it. You know, you've got your your actors on screen, you've got Spotify, you've got all your musicians. Whereas prior to COVID, the arts is a sector that's relatively neglected mm-hmm. and so and undervalued. So I think it actually made people realise the true importance of the arts on to our lives not just mental health and physical health and mm-hmm. it's everywhere and I think people don't really didn't didn't realize that until now so I think if anything that's a positive because people now know how crucial it is mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I think COVID really helped people kind of understand and recognize the little things mm. and appreciate more I think it gave people time to reflect mm-hmm. so yeah. your credit oh your Currently studying a master's degree in vocal studies in operas, operas, opera even. Um, but <laughs> what did that entail? How did that look? So when you're studying for a master's degree, you're really preparing to be entering the industry. So I have my weekly lessons with Jane Evan, my teacher. We have language coaching sessions. So if I work with opera houses abroad, they'll be directing me in that native mm-hmm. language I mean obviously a lot of people will speak English but if you if you go to a, another country and you speak yeah. or even attempt to speak their language I'm a language nerd here you, you can just see the positive impact that has on people because it shows that you've tried at least mm-hmm. and you're not just expecting people to speak English back to you and I think yeah obviously that'll 
be more employable as well. And I think, yeah, definitely. I've just gone off on such a tangent here. But yes, we have our language coachings, acting classes, um, stagecraft, stage combat, which involves kind of fake sword fighting and things like that, as you would on the stage. The, the, the things that people don't <laughs> expect you to do. Um, performance classes, which is where you sign up every week to, to sing the repertoire that you're working on. Um, coaching sessions and master classes with visiting um, professors. So I've got one in two weeks with Anne Murray, um, who's our chair of singing at the RNCM. And we get to be in the RNCM opera as well. So there's a lot a, a lot going on at music yeah. at conservatoire um, and the terms I'd say considerably longer than you know an academic university it's heavily performance based however we do have electives where we um, one of the recently for me was like a, a presentation style on a research topic of your choice so you can kind of it's what you make it really you can tailor it to you so yeah I'm, I love my academic music and music history as well so it's it's kind of perfect for me in a way yeah so how many languages can you speak a lot right <laughs> yeah yeah well I speak um French and Spanish they're my best best languages and I can speak Italian and German and um, not to the same level but conversationally and over lockdown I decided to learn Russian so I can now read Russian and speak conversationally and it's a work in progress but that's kind of my hobby alongside music I think that's why I love singing so much because you know I can put that into practice <laughs> but yeah it's always been a good hobby of mine so when you sing in a different language and this might be me being a bit ignorant but can you understand what you're saying or are is there times when you don't know what you're singing <laughs> no so rule number one you always need to know what you're singing about <laughs> so luckily for us I mean, obviously, we need to do our research into whatever we sing because how can we emote what we're singing if we, if we don't know what we're singing about? So there's this, um, a website, if anyone's interested, called IPA Source, so International Phonetic Alphabet, mm-hmm. and it's got tons and tons of pieces on there, French, German, Italian, where you can where it provides translations and the phonetic transcriptions of the words, and it's a word, literal word-for-word translation, which is better than, yeah. you know, a sentence that's kind of you know an okay-ish translation it's better to know exactly what you're saying because yeah otherwise <laughs> you might not have a clue in, and the audience will know if you kind of switch off a bit during the song <laughs> I mean I can imagine I can imagine someone smiling and it's meant to be a really sad song <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly you get an option with you know people singing like Obumi or Babi Makaro and they think you know they're, they're singing some really Happy, happy self. There's a woman pleading to her dad, like, please, you know, let me marry this man. <laughs> I was like, do you know what this is? It's kind of funny, actually. But yeah, but that's also another thing that kind of puts people off going to the opera because they feel like they're not going to connect to it. But uh, there's an ENO that I've talked about before. They do a lot, obviously, of their performances with the English translation. Or... Uh, at operas, even if it's in Italian, you've got subtitles above the stage so mm-hmm. you can read the translation. So there is always a way, you know, of understanding. Yeah. So would you say it was difficult to, play, to secure a place at your conservatoire? And how did you kind of 
to hear that it was the right place for you or how did you kind of prepare for it in advance? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, the UK has, I think, like seven or eight conservatoires. I think you've got four in London. You've got Royal College, Royal Academy, Guildhall, Trinity, RNCM, one in Wales, Royal Welsh. Well, you can name them all. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of choice and um, it can be quite overwhelming. So I was in my second year at Cheetons when I was working out, where do I want to go? Yeah. And I remember I was making lists and lists and lists. And obviously you've got to audition. So you've, you've got to take all your pieces and different places want different repertoire. Um, so you've got to be really on the ball with it. And... I'm not joking, there are probably hundreds of people that apply just for them to take a cohort of, I think my undergrad degree was 23 of us in one year. Oh. So that's what makes it so different to universities. You're not in a massive cohort lecture. <laughs> you literally got these little groups of Chinese people, which I actually really like in a way because everyone knows each other so well. You've got this shared passion. And it's more like a family, yeah. more like a sloppy way, but <laughs> that's what everyone says about the RNCM. It's just got its its wonderful atmosphere. Like you walk in and you feel at home. And I definitely felt like that when I went to my audition at undergrad. I remember I went, my mum came with me because honestly, it's, it's a big, big thing. Like for And um, <laughs> I remember like, I was so nervous because I, I did my first round but less nervous than the other institutions that I'd auditioned for. So I think that was already a good a good sign. And you do your first round. And then I remember we're in the canteen and then someone comes down the stairs with this sheet of paper with the people who've progressed to the second oh, round. That's like a movie. I've never seen anything like it. posted it on this board and then my mum's like, oh, they've, posted, they've put it up now. So I, I, you know, I went up the stairs and thinking, like, fingers crossed, like, please, please. <laughs> and thankfully, my name was there and I had the second round. And then they let me know. Um, at the time, there was QCAS. So you had UCAS and QCAS for conservators. And then, um, yeah, then it said that I was accepted and I was really happy and, and when you get offered a place, you then get um, consultation lessons where you pick, I think, three singing teachers off the roster and you have um, like an hour singing lesson with them just to see who you would want to be taught by when you start. And I had one with Jane, my teacher, and I was just like, this is the person that I want to teach me. Like, honestly, she I can never sing her praises enough. She's such a cool woman and she's had a most incredible career. But she's so humble and down to earth and honestly such an inspiration to me. And I just remember coming home and I was like, this is who I want to teach me. <laughs> and then when um, I, I think I was on holiday, actually, that summer I got the email to say that she would, she had agreed to be my teacher. I was like, oh, this is the place for me. So, I, you know, I accepted RNCM and that's where it began. I like how that's very catered to the individual. So like you get to kind of decide who you want to teach you. Obviously, you have to accept, but it's very kind of individualistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, because honestly, it, it's not really the institution, it's the teacher that, that matters. In And you're a young singer, that, that is kind of crucial to your development. And 
honestly people work differently with different personalities and that's that's what makes it so important so yeah it's really good that they offered that um obviously it doesn't always work out how people want it because people can be you know end up fully booked and but no no luckily for me I I got my top choice (laughs) it sounds really competitive though like really competitive it is it is yeah um it's a competitive industry mm-hmm. I was lucky throughout my undergrad and even now having started masters with like a new influx of people I found it to be really supportive because we all know what each other's going through and essentially yeah we're, we're all experiencing the same thing and why not be supportive to each other I mean what, what's anyone going to gain from from not helping each other so I I think Obviously, it's competitive, but essentially, you've got to work on yourself. They always say, just as long as you're, you know, a better musician than you were yesterday, then that's all that matters. Like, yeah, you only, you know, you're only competing against yourself, mm-hmm. is what they always say. So, obviously, practice what you preach. It's it can be hard sometimes. So I'm not, not going to lie. When you'll see people doing like an incredible concert, and you think, oh, if only I was, you know, doing that. Why am I not doing this, 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 and this? But yeah you can't do everything at once and you've got to acknowledge that what you're doing is enough and yeah yeah it, it's bizarre it, being in that kind of situation you adapt to it and I think not everyone um works well under that kind of pressure whereas with me it's kind of always motivated me to just work work hard and if anything I'm just in, in all I remember when I was an undergrad I'd look at the postgrads and I just like, oh, I just want to be like you like one day. And <laughs> now I'm one of those you know, scary postcards. <laughs> Hopefully not scary. Well, up to you now. I want to be like you. Time flies. <laughs> so what would you kind of recommend to someone who would look into beginner masters at Conservatoire? Ooh. Um, okay, so like I said, go with the teacher, not the institution. Especially, especially for singers, there's a lot of pressure that you should be in London, and um, that's the place to go if you if you want to again better to come and make it. What is make it? <laughs> um, whereas Manchester has so much to offer, and as long as you're happy and you're learning and you're improving with your teacher, then if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Stick there, um, and believe in yourself and focus on yourself because that that's all that matters like do what makes you comfortable learn music that fits well within your voice and you know don't try and push it too soon because there can be I was gonna make a joke about you know everyone wants to be you know the next big Maria Callas who was a very famous (laughs) famous singer back in the day um mahusive voice incredible voice but not every everyone has a different voice your voice is unique and and that's what makes it special. So cultivate that and don't don't imitate anyone, you know, because you feel you have to. Um, make sure you're well prepared and you've got a good list of music that you could sing on demand. Um, at audition, um, you know, collaborate with a pianist before you go and walk in that room. Make sure they know exactly how to play the music that you're going to present. And when you, a lot of the auditions um, culminate with a, a Q&A 
with the heads of the school. And I would just say, just be yourself because no one wants a cardboard cut-out copy of, you know, another opera singer because, you know, you, you need to just be unique because no one wants to hear the same you know, same voice, see the same person because what's, what's, you know, so fun in that. So be yourself and let your true passion shine through. Gosh, I sound like... <laughs> You're motivational speaker. That's the thing. I feel motivated. I'm gonna um, burst into a song in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> gonna get into like a what, a night Just do it. <laughs> so, uh, would you? Well, not would you. Do you kind of reg- not regret? But if you could do your time again, would you go to London for your conservatoire, or would you stay in Manchester? Um. I would definitely stay in Manchester because I feel, well, A, like I, I've made such incredible progress with my teacher yeah. that I would not want that any other way. B, I think Manchester is definitely my hub. Obviously, I'm a northern woman anyway, so I feel at home here. And I think when you're comfortable, you, you just, you thrive, don't you? Yeah. So I think for the time, for the stage that I was at when I started my undergrad, Manchester was perfect for me and it's perfect for me now. I think perhaps um, once I've completed my master's, it will be time to spread my wings. Oh. Maybe London, maybe abroad. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But no regrets. There's, there's no point looking back because I'm you're just thinking of all the great things that I've experienced through being a student up here. I just I wouldn't change that for the world. No. Yeah, no, it's amazing how you can you have the option to go abroad. I think that's really cool that you're like, I can go wherever I want and just sing. <laughs> I know all these languages. <laughs> I can go to Italy and speak fluently. <laughs> well, that would be would be the goal. I think um, probably Germany. There's a lot of, of work in, in this industry in Germany. And I think if I want to really nail the language, being in the country, living there, is going to be the best way to achieve any most fluency. Um, so yeah, it will be a matter of auditioning around, um, seeing what's out there and who who wants me. <laughs> any takers? <laughs> I never want to see whether they listen to this and <laughs> see what I've got. This might be your ticket to making it big. <laughs> no, no, they're not asking you to say, just listen to me, <laughs> give me some motivation, <laughs> if only. Yeah, you clearly are balancing a, re- a lot. Like you're doing so much at the same time. How do you stay motivated? Um, I just remember that I think it helps that I, I love it. I think I, I love singing. I love being on stage and I love meeting people and I love languages and they, they all just kind of coincide within this profession. So that's, what motivates me to p- keep pursuing singing and working hard and everything that goes with it. Um, that kind of also feeds into the stuff that I do with the National Student Opera Society with my events management, because again, I'm meeting people within the industry and I'm learning from them. I think I just love learning and it sounds really sad, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just fascinated by absolutely anything and everything. Um, so I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Obviously, I work alongside that. You know, starting teaching, and I, I love 
learning myself through teaching and also performing as a freelancer as a bit of additional income that can be anywhere in the country so traveling meeting new people and just the idea of that is what excites me and motivates me but yeah I think no I think the passion is a really good method of motivation but yeah it's just passionate and you want you want to do it that's why they say you've really got to love it if you're going to pursue it because otherwise it just take up a lot of your life. So that's why you've got to really genuinely love it. Yeah. So I've okay. done a lot of work with kind of NGOs um, from admin level to, yeah, director level to ridiculous levels. And I know how events management can be an organizational nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my NGOs, um, we did quite, we did a legal kind of event where we discussed trends in climate litigation and just organizing speakers, getting Zoom links out to people who wanted to watch and everything was so, so much. How how do you do it? <laughs> well, well, good question. <laughs> Especially because um, with Ensource, even though it was supposed to be, well, not supposed to, but we originally planned for it to be UK-wide, we actually ended up with a lot of interest internationally. Oh, so I was dealing with participants as far away as South America, India, and, you know, dealing with time zones and <laughs> everything. And, and again, I just had to le- learn on the go, really, you know, in arts administration skills. I previously did some arts admin with the Halle and the youth choirs, so I managed to put that into practice my excel spreadsheet <laughs> obviously learning about quite a lot you know doing surveys and data protection and obviously that's very important um i actually the more i did it the easier it became but you've just got to be really on it don't put off sending emails emails great <laughs> send them when it's on your mind or else that's when things start to get <laughs> it's great when you're when you're as organized as you, as you can be yeah yeah no I think organization scores help with everything like even food prepping and cooking your dinner when you're living by yourself you need yeah. to be organized and everything really well, yeah yeah so yeah, it was a learning curve but a, re- a good one a very useful one because mm-hmm. honestly life admin as I call it takes up a lot of time in my day really life admin <laughs> so we've kind of talked about whether you're able to learn how to be a good singer or how to be a good musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we have talked about how you grew up around music quite a lot. And so in terms of music, was it something which you say would come nat- came naturally to you? I think so, yeah, definitely. Um, for some reason, a funny video that my grandparents showed me not too long ago this just popped into my head with, I was probably about five or six, sat on a piano stool with my two cousins. We were singing away in a manger and I, you could see how confident I looked singing that. And I was looking at them in disgust when they didn't know the words to probably the worst of away in a manger. And I'm looking at it now thinking, did I become a diva back then? I was probably more of a diva then than I am. You were the main character. <laughs> yeah. And I'd always be watching, I don't know whether anyone's seen Disney's Fantasia where they put all these um, famous orchestral works to animation. And I'd honestly be sat there all day watching that. And my mum and my sister think, like, why why is she so interested in this? And I think something must have just connected with me and that's just resonated through childhood. And I've had this 
natural affinity towards music. So I think it was going to happen no matter what. <laughs> I was drawn to it. Yeah. Well, so we've spoken about your journey so far. It's been a long journey. You've yeah. been born. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you're born a musician, but and we have kind of touched on this. But what's next? So what's what are you doing next? So I've got one more year of masters to go. Um, starting September. Yeah, two years of masters. Yeah, it's a two-year masters. Yeah, um, and I'll for after masters, I'll be auditioning for young artist programs, mm-hmm. which are um kind of where you're studying, but you're kind of attached to an opera house. So a lot of opera houses have young artist programs. Uh, some in London and some in Germany. I've got a friend who's on one in Austria. She's oh, wow. absolutely smashing it over there. So there's a lot, a lot to choose from, but again, highly competitive. So I've just got to keep working, working. And but that's the next step, home ladder for me, definitely. No, oh, wow, that sounds like something to really look forward to. That's so amazing. Oh, uh, yeah, and you just don't know where you're gonna end up. Yeah, you could be the <laughs> I might turn on my TV and be like, oh my God, <laughs> I recognise this person. <laughs> <laughs> the, last, the last question I have for you, and it's something we're going to ask all our guests on the podcast, is what advice would you have for an upcoming young professional next door? Ooh. Find what you're passionate about truly and completely what what fascinates you as Amanda Ruprush and an amazing opera singer would say um what fascinates you go for it and just put your all into it mm-hmm. absolutely put your all into it because you don't want to look back and think oh I wish wish I'd done this and done that yeah I, will there ever be a right time <laughs> just just go for it and be kind to yourself in the process um, and I think it'll all work out. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time to hear from another young professional next door. If you would like to hear who the next young professional for the doll will be, make sure you subscribe and follow us on our social media platform.